Hey, welcome to the mid-March episode, the Ides of March episode of the Nebraska Complement Podcast. I'm John Ream, your podcast host. I'm a workers' comp and employment lawyer for employees in Nebraska. And, well, I can't avoid talking about coronavirus. Um, I've been doing a little bit of social distancing myself. My wife's a teacher here in Nebraska, and schools are closed Monday through Wednesday at least. So let's talk about it. Um, I worked on a blog post earlier this weekend, which I'll you know run sometime later. But my view is that coronavirus points out the need, you know, re- really raises the need for two things. One, having some form of paid leave and two, much better you know, access, the the ability for people to have much better access to affordable health care. So, because right now our, our social safety net is haphazard at best. I want to talk about coronavirus and workers' compensation because I, I, I do not think that workers' compensation is particularly designed, is not designed well to protect employees from the effects of the coronavirus, the financial effects, the medical bills, and the loss of income. Several reasons why. And they really go to the fundamentals of workers' compensation. Workers' compensation only covers injuries that arise out of and in the course and scope of employment. And usually... When you litigate a workers' compensation case, you never think about in the course of course and scope of, and you only really think of arising out of employment in the context of medical causation. But when it comes to coronavirus, you not only do you have to discuss whether an injury happened in the course and scope of, you also have to analyze and investigate whether it arose from an employment risk arising out of. So what do these workers' comp terms mean in the course and scope of employment and arising out of? I'm going to start with in the course and scope of employment. In the course and scope of, in workers' compensation means that an injury takes place within the time, space, temporal, and spatial boundaries of, of, of work, you know, during work hours on a work site. So that's in the course and scope of. And most of the time, that analysis for an injury is is easy. I mean, that's almost that's always something that the employer almost always concedes to. Very rarely is in the course and scope of litigated. And when it is, you know, it takes quite a bit of factual investigation and time to dig in to figure out whether the injury actually happened in the course in scope of of an injury. So it is a complicating factor. The problem with coronavirus is, you know, if you caught coronavirus, you got to figure out where did you catch it? Did you catch it at work or did you catch it, you know, outside of work? And, you know, some, for, for some employees, it, it, it's a fairly easy analysis. Like there's the commercial traveler rule, you know, any if you catch coronavirus, while traveling for work, you know, it's assumed that that's at least in the course of your employment duties. So 
So you have that. But for a lot of people, it, 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 it's, it's not quite that simple. So, so the analysis of, you know, finding out where did, where were you exposed to coronavirus is difficult. And it could be made more difficult by the fact that a lot of public health officials would have made, you know, seem to make this, want to make this information confidential. So it may be difficult to access. And if coronavirus, you know, if, if exposures explode here in the United States, then, you know, people may not really know where it may be impossible to track, track it. So there's going to be a lot of challenges within the court in the course and scope of, and the other thing you get to rise that comes up is, you know, even if it happens at work, just because an injury happens at work doesn't necessarily mean that it's covered under workers comp. The injury has to arise out of the course and scope, uh, arise out of, you know, your, your work duties, something, some risk related to, to your employment. So, you know, can a risk, so that, that's, a, and that's a more difficult, and that can be tricky too sometimes, because you have to figure out not only that you were, you exposed to coronavirus at work, what were you doing when you were exposed to coronavirus at work? And it may be difficult to figure that out. And, you know, there may not be, you know, particularly if there's no presumption of, of exposure at work, it may be difficult to prove. I mean, some, some professions, some lines of work may have an easier time of proving exposure to, to coronavirus. For example, the medical field, people who work in human services, uh, maybe people who work in crowded restaurants, for example, all those bartenders and servers and waitress, waiters and waitresses that were working you know, over St. Patrick's Day weekend with all these drunken yahoos who wanted to go out and party over St. Patrick's Day. I mean, people like that, you know, it may be easier to show that that you were exposed to coronavirus because of the environment you were working in. But, you know, if, if you're not, you know, working in one of those environments, it may be harder to harder to argue that you would be exposed to coronavirus in the scope and the course arising out of your employment. So they're difficult cases to prove. So, so, but, you know, just because a case is difficult to prove doesn't necessarily mean that as a lawyer, you're going to decline it. The other analysis with coronavirus is, you know, the, the other barrier, at least for a coronavirus, for a coronavirus case to workers comp would be, there's, there's two. Uh, one, are you even covered by workers comp? Now, there's people are doing their social, social distancing or people are staying at home. What are people doing? What do people do when they stay at home? Well, they order out, they order on Amazon, they order food out. So you, who are those people making those deliveries? Well, those tend, those people tend to be independent contractors. Well, many of them, you know, your gig economy workers, uh, delivery drivers, uh, sh- shipping shipping companies. You know, shipped, Uber, DoorDash, all of these firms, these employees that are keeping things going uh, for you know ma- helping people maintain their their lifestyle during social distancing. 
a lot of these people tend to be independent contractors or classified as independent contractors. Again, legally, are they independent contractors? I would argue no, but that's just another hurdle for somebody to claim workers' compensation if they're in if they're in fact an independent contract, you know, if their employer believes they're an independent contractor. So there's there's that aspect of it. And two, you know, let's let's assume you're covered under workers' compensation. And let's even assume that you can show that your coronavirus exposure happened at work and arose from an employment risk. Can you get a lawyer involved in a case like that? And it may be difficult because in Nebraska, at least under our workers' compensation laws, you can't collect an attorney's fee if you get a disputed medical bill paid. And that's that will just that discourages attorneys from taking workers' compensation cases. So there's going to be lots of ways for insurance companies to defend and defend these claims, but there's not going to be a lot of incentive for attorneys to get involved if if the main damages in a coronavirus exposure is going to be medical bills, and that's going to be tough for people because you know people are going to lose out maybe a month of income. And, you know, maybe that's a couple thousand dollars. Then you get slapped with another couple thousand dollars in medical bills. You got somebody in the whole $5,000. And what are they going to, you know, it's going to be harder for them to get an attorney involved in a case like that because the attorney is really only going to be able to collect some money off of any temporary disability they get. And if the disability, the temporary disability doesn't last longer than six weeks, you lose out on a week of disability pay. So all of this points to the need for strong paid leave laws and better access, you know, and, and strong, you know, health insurance and affordable health care for people and universal access and people being able to go to the doctor and get the medical treatment that they need and not have to worry about costs because workers' compensation is not designed to protect workers in the case of a, of a pandemic flu. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the paid leave law that came out here a little bit later on. Thanks. So in the first section of the podcast, I talked about the need for a strong paid leave policies and strong health care policies uh, to address corona to address the coronavirus because I think there's lots of gaps in workers' compensation that would preclude uh, workers' compensation covering a lot of injury, covering a lot of um, coronavirus exposure. So, but anyway, um, yesterday, the House of Representatives, in conjunction with President Trump, passed a bill that would provide for some paid leave for some employees. And it looks like since President Trump and his Secretary of Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, anybody who is on Twitter looks at Neoliberal Dad. It's a funny account. Uh, Steve Mnuchin's the avatar there. But anyway, him and Mnuchin uh, worked out a deal with the House Democrats. It'll probably be passed by the Senate when they get back into uh, D.C. next week. But so there is now apparently there's going to be emergency paid leave for coronavirus. And I read through through the summaries and I mean, there's some good things here. I mean, 
Uh, the nice thing is, one, they extend FMLA to employees who have only worked for 30 days. Um, there's also two weeks of paid leave for coronavirus. Looks like there's also some paid leave protections for self-employed workers as well as there's also family leave in addition. So so we do have a little bit of paid leave regarding you know, coronavirus. However, as the media has pointed out, um, New York Times ran an editorial on Sunday or today about this. This, this uh, paid leave bill is that the House passed worked out with the Trump administration. It's got a lot of holes in it. Um, I mean, the first first things first, probably the most publicized hole in the bill is that it only it only covers employee employers between 50 and 500. Anybody under 50 can apply for a hardship e- exemption. And any employees, any employers over 500 aren't required to do this. So, I mean, there's a... 54% of employers employ more than 500 people. So, and about another roughly quarter or so employ less than 50. So up to 80% of employees could be excluded from this emergency paid leave bill uh, and an extension of FMLA that the House passed in conjunction with the Trump administration. Also, other problems with this. This just applies to coronavirus. This isn't the the paid leave bill, emergency paid leave bill that the House passed only addresses coronavirus. It does not address any other type of pandemic illnesses. So it's just for this one time only. Here's another problem with this. The bill is the extension of paid leave only applies to coronavirus. So, in order for it, the way that, you know, one way to read the bill is, is that in order to get protections for emergency under the Emergency Paid Leave Act or the Emergency FMLA, you need to be diagnosed with coronavirus. It's tough to get diagnosed with, it's it's tough to get a test because there's not a lot of accessibility to tests. There's also concerns about how do you pay to get the tests. Now, the bill does have some things in there that, one, there's up to a billion dollars for people that are uninsured to be reimbursed. Now, you still have to maintain uh, maintain things out of pocket. You still have to pay out of pocket, but you can get reimbursed. And there's also incentive in there for states to expand Medicaid to help un- uninsureds. But again, this is just for coronavirus. Now, if you read the legislation, um, the legislation points out that either a diagnosis of coronavirus or symptoms of coronavirus. So you can argue that even if you don't maybe get tested, so long as you show the symptoms of coronavirus, you could still invoke the protections under coronavirus. However, a lot of these regulations uh, that, that are, that are going to enact uh, under this emergency paid leave bill are going to be drafted by the Secretary of the Treasury. So 
I have a little bit of concerns about how those how how those are going to be how those regulations are going to be drafted, and also how courts could interpret uh, the legislation, because all these cases would be federal cases, whether a federal courts would say, okay, um, you know, you actually need to have coronavirus to invoke the protections of this bill, rather than just you know have a suspicion of coronavirus. So. I think that there's some some weaknesses there, and that that that's a big one that I don't think has been talked about enough. But there's some other problems with the uh, coronavirus bill. Uh, one, I mean, it's nice that or the paid leave bill. It's nice that self-employeds can claim, you know, can 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 claim paid leave. However, it's going to come in the form of a tax credit, which as written would mean that the employee or the self-employed individual would only be able to get relief when they filed taxes neck for 2020 and 2021. So there'd be a delay there. That's a problem. And apparently uh, the bill is going to be paid for with a tax credit, but the tax credit is only you can only claim a tax credit up to $511 per week if you miss work on your own. You can only claim a tax credit of $200 a week if you're taking care of somebody else with coronavirus. So there's a there's a cap to there's a cap to the the benefits. Now, talked earlier about workers compensation and how paid leave can interact with workers' compensation. Let's say if you get you if if somehow you could manage to prove that uh coronavirus you could link coronavirus to workers' compensation. One nice thing about workers' compensation is is that under if you actually get paid paid leave, at least in Nebraska, you can't offset paid leave against temporary disability. Um one thing that John Gelman pointed out last week uh, when he was blogging about coronavirus is, is that if, let's say, you get, or let's say you, you, you settle a, if you have a third-party payer, for example, like the federal government paying for somebody who's uninsured, either through Medicaid which Medicaid isn't bad to deal with in, in, in Nebraska. I don't know about other states, but let's say you have you know, somebody with no insurance and they're in their um, paid, their testing is paid by the um, federal government. What are the third party rights there? So there's some complications there as well. So, and again, this bill only applies to just Corona virus. Um, one interesting thing that's come up in Nebraska is, you know, coronavirus is not, not the first pandemic. About a hundred years ago, there was a thing called the Spanish flu, which actually killed a lot more people than coronavirus. And, you know, one of the things with the coronavirus is that schools are being closed. So schools are being closed you know, there's, there's the concerns of, you know, what do you do if a school's closed and people have to miss, people have to miss work, 
in order to take care of their kids. To some extent, the emergency uh, the emergency leave bill addresses that. But what about school employees? Nebraska has a law that was passed during the Spanish flu during the Spanish flu outbreak a hundred years ago. A Nebraska Revised Statute seventy nine comma eighty nine dash one oh six it requires teachers be paid during pandemics because the way teachers are paid is is that at least where where I live in, in Lake in Nebraska teachers are only paid for the days they actually work, which teachers, you know, it's very few days. So if you somebody if you have a pandemic during the school year, teachers can lose out on a substantial amount of wages. But in Nebraska, because of the Spanish flu bill, school districts are required to pay teachers. And I think that, I don't think Nebraska is unique in that respect. I mean, you would want to look around and do some investigations, but I would imagine that many other states would have similar rules or laws about school employees. And it's interesting, the Spanish flu, uh, essentially the pandemic paid leave for teachers we have in Nebraska came about in 1919 and that's roughly about the same time that workers compensation came into effect it was a few years afterwards so again there's a recognition at least for at least 100 years ago that workers compensation is it, you know does not cover nearly everything that is is not an entirely adequate remedy for everything that could happen, all types of illnesses and injuries that could happen in the workplace. And also, you know, if you have a robust social safety net with workers' compensation, you know, the same legislators who pass things like that tend to pass things, you know, other robust uh, social safety net or social insurance measures like paid sick leave for teachers during pandemics. And here's the problem that we're having right now is that, you know, workers' compensation uh, has been gutted for years, you know, probably going back to about, you know, 1985. And it's only recently, only until recently in California with Assembly Bill 5 and a few other uh, blue states like New Jersey and New York that have really done any type of workers comp reform that's been positive it's been mostly negative uh, it's mostly been uh you know an erasure of rights making it harder for workers to claim compensation for work injuries and you know you can see that you know they, that also those, those same decision makers who gut workers compensation are very uh unlikely to you know, enact things like strong paid leave programs. Again, even in an emergency, we have a paid leave program that many employees may or may not be able, you know, that excludes up to 80% of employees. And even those 20% of employees that are eligible may not be able to access those benefits if they can't show, you know, if they're not able to show some link to the coronavirus. I mean, I hope that's not the case, but I I wouldn't be surprised. So anyway, that's coronavirus in the workplace and coronavirus and workers' comp. Thanks for listening and 
I'll try not to wait three weeks uh, again to put out a podcast.